All right, tonight I am not talking about Genesis again. <laughs> and I did that because last service on, what was it, Sunday night? Sunday night we talked about the necessity of church, right? We talked about how, no, we didn't do that Sunday night. It was last Wednesday night. Last Wednesday night, we talked about the necessity of church. Sunday night, I just preached the gospel. But I want to continue in this vein of the necessity of being part of the church, okay? So in doing that, we're going to talk about the word fellowship, okay? Because this is a word that kind of gets lost and misunderstood to some degree. It is as simple as us spending time together, but it means a lot more than that, okay? So tonight we're going to start with the word fellowship, but we're going to get it from our context of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And I want to go there for, a various, for various reasons, but this is our model for coming together as a church. Amen. This is the first instance that we see the church coming together regularly. Amen. So Acts 2, 42, it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now we're going to deal with this word fellowship. Okay. The word fellowship is the Greek word, if you have a Strong's Concordance, it's going to be G2841, and it's koinonia, koinonia, okay? This is the word. I know it sounds really similar to koine in Greek, but it's probably not related at all, okay? <laughs> but the word is koinonia, and it means partnership. That's the first definition of this word when you look it up is partnership literally participation literally the literal form is participation now here's a part that's going to throw you so don't get thrown I'm going to explain it to you secondly it says or social intercourse now that ain't what you think it is okay Social intercourse, that is communication between people as they spend time together. That's what social intercourse means, okay? Now, if you grew up 50 years ago, that definition wouldn't surprise you when it said social intercourse. You wouldn't go, ah! <laughs> You'd know what it meant, right? Because people still understood that terminology, okay? But it means people communicating as they're spending time together. Number three, uh, uh, yeah, if I can say this word, it's going to be a miracle. Pecuniary uh, benefaction, okay? A pecuniary benefaction. Now, what that means is a structured or formal type of uh, uh giving okay giving of oneself a giving of goods a giving of to other people okay but it's formalized meaning you've actually come together 
purposefully for this meeting, okay? So, so far we have a partnership, participation, social intercourse, uh, pecuniary benefaction, which literally means a formal giving. It also means to communicate, the word fellowship, that's what we're describing, okay? Fellowship means to communicate or communication or communion or contribution or distribution, fellowship, association, community, intimacy. All of these are describing this fellowship. It's not simply just us coming together. It's us actually caring for one another. Amen. Not only caring for one another, but taking care of one another. Amen. So where do we see this in the light of scripture? It's the same chapter of Acts. You can just keep reading. Okay. So we're going to do that. Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together. I would like you to highlight that. All that believed were together. And had all things in common. And sold their possessions and their goods. And parted them out to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple. And breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God, having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now this gives us our communal understanding of the word fellowship. Amen. Not only did they care about each other, but they took care of each other. Amen. And this is a formalized decision. Where they say, we're going to come together because we realize we're all believers in Christ. Amen. And now we're going to fellowship together. Amen. So when I talk about this, I want you to understand that the root of fellowship, number one, first and foremost, is you are part of the communion, communion, excuse me, of saints. What's the communion of the saints? That's the body of Christ who truly are redeemed, right? Now, I want to read you a little article from Joel Beakey's uh, Reformation Heritage Study Bible, and it says this on the communion of the saints. He says, Article 9 of the Apostles' Creed states this, I believe in the Holy Catholic Christian Church, the communion of of the saints. Isn't that in the Apostles' Creed last time you checked? The first treasure of the church is bound that believers have one another. They're bound one with another. This communion of saints constitutes all true believers who are justified in Christ 
by the Spirit of God. See Romans 12, 13, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. It is twofold. First, the common right that we have to Christ and his gifts, 1 John 1, 3. Secondly, it is a calling to use our spiritual and temporal gifts among the believers. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Philippians 2, 1 through 2, and I would add Acts 2, 44. <laughs> Amen? Using our gifts, spiritual and temporal gifts, among the believers. This community is one. That is, though it has many parts and members, it is but one body, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. This unity consists first of the unity of faith and second of the unity of the spirit. Therefore, we are told to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians chapter 4, verse, 30, uh, verse 3 through 6. The foundation for this unity is knowing Jesus Christ, the head of the body, who joins all parts of the body to one another. Colossians 3, 14 through 15. This community is holy for three reasons. First, the church is separate from unbelieving and from the unbelieving and godless world. Can we get an amen on that? The world is not supposed to look like the church and the church is not supposed to look like the world. We're supposed to be different. Can I get an amen? Uh, this is amazing. I mean, when I read this article, I'm like, this is everything I want to say about this subject. And I didn't even have to write it, okay? It's amazing. Number two, the church is holy because, the, because of the perfect holiness of Christ and that it has been imputed to her, that being the church. John 17, 19, 1 Corinthians 1, 30. Thirdly, the church is holy because the church strives after greater holiness because she has been cleansed by the washing of the water of the word, 1 Peter 1, 15. This community is Catholic in that it's universal. It consists of all those in every place who call upon the name of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, Titus 1, 4, 2 Peter 1, 1. This community has existed from the beginning of the world and remain forever, will remain forever. Now, what does, it, what does he mean right here? This community has existed from the foundation of the world. Well, well, the church hasn't been around since the foundation of the world, has it, Pastor? Well, not under Christ, but God's people. God has had a chosen people that were his people from the very beginning. Amen? And this constitutes, when he's talking about church and the church has consisted since the beginning, what he's talking about is the body of people or the assembled, gathered people of God have existed since God created man. Amen? God's people. Uh, okay, this community is Christian, called by the name of Christ, her bridegroom, John 3, 29. Now watch this. I never thought about this before, but you need to listen to this because this is great. Just as a wife takes the name of her husband, Genesis 2, 23, so the church takes the name of Christ. Isn't that interesting? Never thought about it like that. Like, when we become believers, we're Christians. Why? Because we're Christ followers. 
And therefore, we're taking his name on us. Just like you would. A Adam said, you are one man because you have come out of man. Okay? Did you get the connection there? Adam named his wife after himself. One man because you came out of man. And just like in the beginning, we came into Christ, amen, and we receive his name. Uh, this community is called the church, which means, and we went over this uh, last Wednesday, the assembly of all believers, 2 Peter 1.1. This church is sometimes called militant, and it isn't what the word you think it means, okay? That word militant in this context actually means it is composed of all earthly believers. Okay? I uh, lost my place. There we go. Sometimes it is referred to as triumphant, consisting of the saints already in glory. Sometimes it is referenced as visible, the assembly of all believers who profess true faith. Though intermixed, with unbelievers, Matthew 13, 38. They give a reference there. How is the church mixed with unbelievers? Matthew 13, 18 is talking about the wheat growing among the tares. Amen? There's always going to be people who say they are believers, but are not really believers. Amen? So they're going to grow up with the tares. They're going to be in the midst of the church, but they're not actually part of the church that's why in those days jesus is going to say to them i never knew you right now sometimes he's talking about the invisible church made up of only the elect those who actually are born again first peter 1 2 sometimes universal it is about the form of all believers in every place in every nation and sometimes it is talked about as individual or spanning a local congregation. Regarding this communion of saints, the individual believer must examine himself in several matters. Now, this is the point that I wanted to get to in this article. Because this is the point that Christians today need to examine their self. Okay? Because there's several things that he says here. He has four points. And these four points I want you to take heart and listen to as well. Number one, the first thing that an individual believer must examine himself is about, he says, first, he must ask whether he truly loves the brotherhood, the assembly, the fellowship of believers belonging to the body. The believer should have a particular affection and fondness for all of the members of the family of God. 1 John 3.14. Let's go to 1 John 3.14. Because this is important if we're going to make this context. 1 John 3 verse 14 says, We know we have passed from life or from death unto life because we love the brethren. Amen. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. This is a very important understanding 
of what it means to be, first of all, the moment you're a believer in Christ, you are part of the communion of the saints. That means you are part of the body of Christ as a whole. Scripture requires you then to be part of a local body where you can benefit them and they can benefit you. Amen. Why is this required? Because number one, we're required to love one another. Jesus said, this is how all men will know that you're my disciples, by the love that you bear one for another. And then John, who he was talking to, Jesus tells John this. And then later on when John's old, he's writing 1 John, and he tells you unequivocally in verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life. What is he talking about? We know we have went from being an unregenerate unbeliever who was bound for hell into being a regenerate born-again believer who's going to heaven when? He said, we know we have passed from death to life when we love the brethren. That's why he goes on to say, how can you say you love your brother who you can see, or how can you say you love God who you can't see, and not love your brother who you can see? Amen? It is important to be part of the local church. Amen? It's, it's important to be in fellowship with the local church. Okay? Now I'm going to go back to this article because this is just the first one. He says, Therefore, the believer does not forsake the assembling of their self together, Hebrews 2.25, whether in public assembly of worship, Psalm 27.4, or in everyday association with believers, Psalm 16.3, Acts 2.46. They give you the same verse that I read to you and started this with. Now watch this. Secondly, the believer must ask whether he wholeheartedly strives after holiness. If he is a true member of the church and is sanctified by the blood of Christ, this should be proven out in his life. Hebrews 12, 14. 1 Peter 1, 15. Acts 8, 21. Thirdly, he must examine himself to see whether he loves Christ with all his heart. Two marks prove this love. Now, what, what, what two marks do you think he's going to say proves that you love Christ? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. So proof that I love Christ is not just my profession, but the fruit that comes along with a profession. Amen. Now he gives you a verse. He says, uh, there are two things that prove this love. Obedience, John 14, 21. And a longing for Christ, Revelation 22, 17. Notice that in Revelation, let's go to Revelation 22, verse 17. I want to show you something. Maybe you thought of it. Maybe you didn't. If you did, bless God, you're on you're you're ahead a step ahead of those who haven't thought about it. Amen. Uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. It's a very important verse. It says, The Spirit.
and the bride say come. And let him who heareth say come. Now, he's qualifying you to who can come. The spirit and bride say come. Who's the spirit and the bride? The Holy Spirit and the church. We're the bride of Christ, right? So the Holy Spirit and the bride say come, okay? Let him who heareth say come. So the, all those who have ears, let them hear, Jesus said, right? And let him that is a thirst come. Now he's telling you if they're not thirsty, they won't come. Amen. How am I going to know that somebody is really in love with Christ? They're going to thirst after him. They're going to have a hunger. They're going to have a longing for Christ. Number, uh, the last one, he says, whoever will let him come, take of the water of life freely. Now, whoever's willing, right? Period. End of story. Those who are unwilling to run after Christ and love Christ and thirst for Christ and hunger for righteousness, they're not going to be filled because they don't want it. Amen? This is a fact. He's telling you, if, if, if you're not doing these things, you must look at yourself and go, am I really born again? Because the desire of a born again person is number one, <laughs> that he's going to love Christ. Number two, he's going to love his brother. Amen? It's just, you can't get around those things. Now he gives a fourth reason. He says, fourth, the believer must use his talents, both his spiritual and temporal gifts, with a willing heart for the benefit of fellow believers. Now we know this is true. Jesus says, and Paul says, even Paul, what does he say throughout the New Testament? He said, beloved, prefer one another ahead of yourself. Right? Why? Because I'm supposed to lay my life down and think about you and what's good for you and look for your good, your benefit. Amen? This is a part of what is required of being part of the church. So as a part of the church, if I'm never around people to be a benefit to them or for them to be a benefit to me, I'm not actually walking in obedience to what God tells me to do. Period. Amen? Now, from this use, the gifts on the part of each believer, the whole body is fitly joined together. Ephesians 4.16. I want to go to Ephesians 4.16 real quick so we can read this in context because, you know, I like context. All right. Let's start at verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, what I can tell you unequivocally is that you're not the body of Christ by yourself. So this edification really only happens in the context of the local church. That's why when you see people who profess to be believers but have been in church in 30 years and they, you know, they know you, your four-year-old in Sunday school knows more Bible than they do, it's because they don't understand that spiritual growth doesn't happen outside of the context of us learning and growing together. Amen? 
you have to do it that way or you will you look I'm not going to say they're not saved but they will be one starved and emaciated baby Christian for their whole Christian life if they make it to heaven at all now lastly look at what it says I don't know where I left off uh, for the pe for affecting of the saints for the edifying of the body till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the statute of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joint together, compacted, by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto edifying itself in love. Now, this in the King James is a mouthful, okay? So I'm going to do me and you a favor, and I'm going to have Kyle read this from the ESV, okay? Because it's going to give you a lot better understanding of what this means. Uh, just here, just bring me your ESV and I'll read it, okay? Here, let's do it. Let's do it the easy way. That way, the people on camera can hear it too, okay? Uh, it's verse 16, I believe, is where I'm at. Yeah. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is, uh, which, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, okay? Make it, it makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you understand that this is telling us unequivocally that growth and perfection in our faith is going to come through fellowship as believers? Amen. It does not happen outside of this. We do not have a model in the New Testament for us growing and learning outside of the context of the local church now why because here's the thing you you've heard the expression there's uh wisdom in the multitude of councils right the reality is if you're out on your own it's going to be very easy for you to be deceived and tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine why because there's nobody there to check you amen there's not a wesley in your church to go hold on pastor i don't know if that's right there's not a Kyle there to go, oh, hold on a minute. I don't think that's right. There's not a Carmen to go, hey, you're out of line. Amen. There's nobody there to say no. And you're left on your own. And what, what ends up happening is if we're left on our own, what we're going to do is read the Bible how it sounds good to us. And we're going to make it fit me. And I'm going to make it sound just like whatever I need it to say. That's the trouble we run into. And then there's people outside of the church that are going to do that for you. And then you're going to go, oh, man, I never saw that before. Maybe I'll believe this way. Maybe I'll believe that way. And you can watch people as they, one day they believe this. The next day they believe something completely opposite. And three days later they believe this other thing. And you're going, what in the world 
we got a friend on Facebook that like five years ago, she was going to a church just down the road, and today she's some spiritualist in wherever she's living now, and she 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 does tarot card readings and all kinds of crazy nonsense, and we're like, whoa. And it's all because she wasn't satisfied being a part of the local church. And most people don't want to hear no. And that's why they don't want to stay at a local church. Amen. They don't want the pastor to say no. They don't want the deacons to say no. They don't want their wife to tell them no. They don't want, you know what I mean? They don't want that little old lady that heard their conversation to walk up to them and go, you know, I heard you talking about this, and this ain't right. This is what the Bible says, right? They don't want that kind of uh, uh, accountability. accountability, right? That's the word I was looking for. Thanks, Cal. <laughs> Turn with me, if you will, to 1 John chapter 1, because I want to I wanna get here to this, and then we're going to speed right on through this, okay? 1 John chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 1. <clears throat> that which was from the beginning we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also might have fellowship with us. Notice what he's saying. He's not just telling you you're going to have fellowship with Christ in believing this. He's saying you're going to have fellowship with us. Amen. Now watch this. And truly our fellowship is with who? The Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. It should please a Christian to be part of the church. It should make a believer go, man, there's other people who've met this Jesus that I met, who've, who've, who are walking the same walk that I'm walking, who, you know, we may not all have went through the same trouble. Chances are I've been through some things you haven't been through, and you've been through some things that I haven't been through, and that's good because then you can, from your experience, give me what God did to you, and I can give you from my experience what God did for me, and then we can weigh that all in the Word of God. Amen? Now watch this. Verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, notice his wording again. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is telling you, beloved, that as we come together, we are being built up. Okay? We're not the temple of God by ourselves. When you read that verse that we're being built up into a holy habitation for God, what he's meaning is when we all come together and we're all doing our part. Amen? Now here's the fun part. Right after he says all this, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is very interesting that he says all this in the context of us having fellowship with one another and him. Amen? Who do you confess your sins to? Obviously God, right? But the Bible also tells us to confess our faults one to another. That we may pray for one another and we be forgiven. Amen? This, Huh? I didn't hear you. Okay. We're meant to do that. That's part of the process of us being fit together, joined together, where we're builded up into a holy habitation. But this is always in the New Testament. It is always in context of the gathered body, the church. Amen. I don't know why I keep feeling like I need to say this other than the people who are not here, which is obvious, right? The people who are here are probably going, I'm tired of hearing this, Pastor. Preach something else. <laughs> but, but the reality is we also understand that until we start doing the things like we're planning on doing, there's not anybody else going to be here. Amen? And it's going to take us as a body who are here coming together and doing the things necessary to see evangelism happen, to see ministry happen outside of these walls, to see, amen? Yet could God save everybody outside these walls all by himself if he wanted to? Sure he could, but he didn't decide to do it that way. We have in his word that how will they hear except they hear except there be a preacher, amen? How, how will there be a preacher if one's not sent, amen? The, the, they're sent out from the church. The church is praying for them. The church is out there in the community doing the work of the ministry, amen? The pastor is not the one that's supposed to do it all. He's supposed to do it and equip those others that are in the body of Christ to go do it too. Amen? That's why it's relevant. It's relevant because in our understanding of our Christian faith in America, it has become so singularized where it's just my own personal relationship and that's all that matters when we don't see that in Scripture. Does Paul have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Yes, does Paul divorce his relationship with Jesus Christ from the church? Not ever. Not ever. Paul makes it a point over and over. It says, I'm coming to you. I'd rather not rebuke you. I'd rather come and, and, and enjoy love and fellowship. But he said, but I'm coming. If I have to rebuke, I'll be bold and I'll do that. Right? Why is he coming to rebuke? Because there were people inside the church who were not acting right. Amen? He even rebuked Peter to his face. Right? Paul never divorces the gospel from the local church. Paul never divorces his understanding of his salvation apart from being in fellowship with Christ and in fellowship with other believers. Ever. Peter doesn't either. James doesn't either. I mean, over and over and over in the New Testament. This is the model that we see. I'm not going to read these uh, in their entirety. I'm not going to read this whole other article. Uh, in, in the back of this Reformation Heritage Study Bible, he has another article Joel Beakey does about the fellowship with the believers. And he names eight things that believers are supposed to do. 
they assemble one with another. They cultivate and display a gracious spirit towards each other. They have holy conversation with one another. That topic right there, holy conversation, you don't think that is an actual uh, biblical phrase, but it really is. And for centuries, people understood this holy conversation as us sharpening the iron, learning from one another, learning from Scripture, letting the Spirit of God lead us as we have these conversations, as we have these debates over what the Bible says, what it means, how we apply it. It all helps us grow. Number four, by singing and praising God together. What did Paul say to the Corinthians? He said, one brings a song, one brings a song, spiritual song, right? Why? Because this is necessary for our edification. Number five, by avoiding fellowship with unrighteousness. This is the, this is the fifth thing that the fellowship of the believers should do. Avoid unrighteousness. Paul says, abstain from the very appearance of evil. Amen? Number six, celebrating the Lord's Supper. Number seven, by encouraging and helping each other. This is part of fellowship. Lastly, number eight, by praying one for another. Amen? Now, can I pray for all those people that are at home? Yeah, I can pray for them. You can pray for them. I'd rather pray with them. Amen? There's, there's, there, there is some other blessing in actually praying with somebody and not just for somebody. And that other blessing is the fact that they're bringing faith to the table. And as you come together as the local church and you're praying, I want you to understand the verse that we quote all the time from James. Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Right? They anoint him with oil that they might pray for him. For the fervent righteous, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Huh? But the reality is that verse is not singular. It's not talked about as a person by himself. Oh, the fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. That verse is in the context of you calling the elders of the church together and then you coming together with the elders of the church, them laying hands on you, anointing you with oil, and all of you are praying. And then he says, the fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. This is still in the context of the local church. It is absolutely necessary. Amen? I don't know how we can read that and just immediately personalize it. When the context is, call the elders of the church, right? That's the context. That's three verses before that verse. Three verses before the verse that we say, uh, uh, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Just three verses before that we see. Is there any sick among you? Let him call the elders of the church. And you can pray for him. You being pluralized. You, the church. Amen. This is so important. Do we want to be an effective body? Then we cannot do it by ourselves. This part can't think, oh, I got to go do this by myself. That part can't go think, oh, I got to do this by myself. We've got to do it with one mind, with one accord. Wasn't that what they were doing on the day of Pentecost? 
They were all in one place with one accord. That's what we see in Acts 2.42. They were all together, had all things in common. They were one mind, right? That's what we need to be as a body, amen? We need to be doing it together, move together. When we say, hey, we're going to have this ministry over here, we need people that go, yes, I want to do that. Yes, I want to be involved with it, amen? Why? Because then we'll be effective. Until we realize we need each other, we won't be effective, amen? We're going to be one person here, one person there. And, you know, we're going to be one foot that's saying, oh, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye. Or I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a finger. Or, you know, you heard what Paul said. That's ridiculous. You're part of the body. Just do what you can do. How many of you realize that you have certain gifts and certain talents? Me too. <laughs> Talking. <laughs> Let's use them. Amen. Let's do them to glorify God, and let's understand that as we do them, we're going to be effective, and we're going to help each other grow in Christ. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Father God, I thank you. Lord, I praise you for the opportunity. Lord, I, I don't know why this has been laid on my heart so heavily. Lord, I felt compelled to share it. And Lord, I pray that those who are in this room understand my heart of love for them, knowing that they are here week in and week out, that they are supporting this church, that they want to see this church grow. Lord, I pray for those who may have listened to this and may listen to it later. I hope that they don't hear me in a condemning way. But, Lord, I pray that they just hear me exhorting them, compelling them, encouraging them to get plugged into their local church so that they would be involved, not only so that they could grow, but so that the church can grow and so that the church can be effective in what you called us to do. Lord, we have no other model for running a church other than what we see in Scripture. So, God, we ask that you would help us. Help us all to know what our gifts and talents are, to realize what you have, have called us to do. And Lord, let us implore every gift and talent that we have to help your message of the gospel to go forth and to help those who we are in fellowship with grow and abound in every spiritual blessing as we do our part. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.